Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. You honor us by listening in, and we're grateful for you. Um, Before we begin, I just want to encourage you to not let this podcast replace the local church in your life. God has designed it so that we are to join a local church and serve that body of believers and be shepherded by the pastor of that church. And that's something no podcast can give you. And so if you're not involved in a local church, let me encourage you to find one as soon as possible. Enjoy our podcast. Open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 2. We have been looking at the story of Elijah, uh, the prophet, since since technically February. I was telling Adrian, um, this, this series has only been nine sermons, I believe. Um, but it feels like we've been in it for like a year, <laughs> um, just because of everything going on. Um, but, but we finished that up today. Today is the final chapter in Elijah's story, um, and, and we are concluding that story. Um, next week, I'm just going to preach a one-off sermon, and then the week after that, when we gather together, we're going to start by looking at the most the things that I think um, are, are super important in church that we need to remember to um, find important and to champion especially as we come back after a a three-month hiatus from church. Um, So we finished the story of Elijah today, 2 Kings 2. Um, We'll be in verses 1 through 14, Um, and that'll be the the end of Elijah's story, probably one of the most famous events in his story here in this section. Um, One of the moments that sticks out in my mind in the past few years of when I have genuinely cried was in May 2018, so two years ago. Um, When I was younger, I cried pretty easily, honestly. I remember going to see an Adam Sandler movie one time and crying. Um, You know he's a comedian, right? You're not supposed to cry in a a comedy movie, but, but I bawled like a baby in one of his movies. And I still cry pretty regularly today, not as much as I did when I was younger. Um, but, you know, when, when Haddon was born a couple weeks ago, um, I actually, I think I cried more at his birth than he did. I mean, they took him out of the womb. That he, he let out the first cry. They set him on Adrian's chest, and that was it. And I'm over here, like, weeping like a baby, like, oh, he's so incredible. I just can't believe this has happened. Um, but in May of 2018, my best friend moved away. Um, my, my friend Robbie and I um, uh, have been best friends for um, since I think 2013. I'd have to go back and look to confirm, but um, we met in college. Um, we, we were both called into ministry around the same time. We, we both went to seminary at the same time. We roomed together in the dorms. Um, we were each other's best man in, in each other's weddings. Um, he graduated seminary before I did, so he actually took a job at a church before I did. He, he took a job in Florida. Adrian and I were still in Kentucky. So in May of 2018, he moved. Um, And and for the first time in five years of us having like a friendship closer than than brothers, um, first time in five years, we would be separated and and it would be for good. Um, uh, You know, I I would love one day for us to actually be back in the same town, but but it's probably not gonna happen. Um, And so when that moment came that night, I, I wept. We, Adrian and I went to Robbie and Erica's apartment the night before they moved away. 
Um, we were going to be out of town the next day, so we wouldn't see them off. So we, we went to their house, and we just spent some time with them. And then when we were about to leave, um, Adrian and Erica looked at us and said, do you guys need a minute? And so we said, sure. So we went out on the porch of the apartment, and Robbie looked at me, and he said, well, Aaron, I guess this is it. And I lost it. I just started weeping. He and I stood there and we talked for a couple minutes, then we hugged and we went back inside. Um, I held it together inside as we were saying bye to them, but then Adrian and I went to the car, we sat down in the car and I lost it again. I wept because the end of an era had come. The, the time of Robbie and I seeing each other every day was over. We still talk regularly today. I'm actually planning to call him once I'm off, once I'm finished filming this. Um, but it, honestly, most of our talking these days is, is through text message, and it's not the same as having your friend there with you. Um, we're still close friends today, but it's not the same as when we lived in the same city. And honestly, both of us have now also developed closer friendships where we're at with other people than we, had when we, than, than, than we have together. We're still close friends, but we've started making our own friends in, in our own world, me in Georgia, him in Florida. Um, and, and in many ways, all of us are gonna have moments like this. Whether you're young or whether you're old, you're going to have moments like this. Most everybody has the, the bittersweet goodbye of the final week of high school. The final week of high school is awesome. You, you don't do any work. Your teachers just kind of let you run the halls and do whatever you want. And you're spending that last week with your friends. And then it ends and you never see those friends again. Um, I, I have talked to one person I went to high school with in the past five years. Um, and, and that was over Facebook. We're all going to sit at the bedside of our dying parents one day. All of us are going to be one day in bed dying as our family members watch us die. I have lived in Georgia for almost a year and a half now, but there's still a part of my heart in Louisville. I miss that place greatly. There's barely a day that goes by that I don't think about my life in Louisville, my friends in Louisville, my church in Louisville, everything that we left when we came here. I love those people, I love that place, I love that city, and I miss it. An end of an era came when I left that place. And we come to the end of Elijah's story today, and, and it's much like that day before my friend moved out of the state. And it's much like that time when you sat at your dying parents' bedside. It's much like high school graduation. Um, we have to ask... As we think about this story today, we have to ask if by God's grace, we will finish the race of our lives the way Elijah does. And so with that, let's, let's pick up in chapter 2 of 2 Kings. We'll read verses 1 through 14. Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha went on their way from Gilgal, and Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. 
Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and so as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, the chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by the whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from, from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to this one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. I don't know how many TV shows you have watched from start to finish. Um, it's pretty easy nowadays with things like Netflix. Um, but but I've, seen a f I've seen several TV shows from start to finish, and I always love the final episode. The final episode is always going to be bittersweet. It's always going to be this, if it's done right, they're going to bring back all the characters that were all throughout the show, um, and they're usually going to flash back and show you where they've gone, where, where they've been over the course of the entire TV show, and they're going to reminisce about that. Um, recently, Adrian and I finished watching Boy Meets World. Um, it's a show from the 90s. Um, it was not a show I watched growing up, but Adrian did watch it. We watched it and concluded that Corey Matthews, the main character, is like my clone. He and I act just alike. Me, he and I are, are the same goofy person. Um, the whole TV show follows Corey his friend Sean, and his girlfriend Topanga. They're, they're all three. Um, it, it starts when they're in seventh grade, I believe, and it ends when they are in college. And um, it follows them as they're being taught by the teacher, George Feeney. Um, George Feeney somehow ends up being their teacher from seventh grade all the way to college. They, they work that out in the story. But um, the final scene of that show, spoiler alert, um, Corey, Sean, and Topanga are about to move away to New York City. And they go, to their they go to their seventh grade classroom where, where you first saw the show, and they sit down in the exact desk they would sit in in middle school, and, and George Feeney comes in, and they, they, they spend one last little conversation with him. And they ask, is there anything else you have to teach us? And they um, listen to him, and then they stand up, and each of them individually hugs him and tells him how much they, that he means to them. And they tell him that they love him. 
And they try to get him to say that, that he loves them, but, but he just won't do it. As, it's a joke. They all walk out of the classroom, and Feeney is left there alone, and, and he says, I love you all. That's sort of like what's happening here in, in 2 Kings chapter 2. Um, Elijah is journeying throughout the land of his time. It's time for him to be taken by the Lord. He, he at some point was told, you're not going to die. You're going to get taken on up to heaven in a chariot of fire. So he comes to that point in his life. He's going around. He's seeing all the prophets in the land that, that, it, that he's been to. He, he, he's going around seeing all these prophets, all these people who have admired him and looked up to him. And if you notice, for the most part, verses 1 through 8 basically repeat the same thing three times. They just insert different city names. Um, he goes to one place, he sees the prophets, the prophets tell him, hey, you're, tell Elisha, hey, your master's about to get taken. And Elisha says, I know, be quiet. And then they do it in the next town. And then they do it in the next town. And in a lot of ways, um, Elijah is repeating the steps of, um, the, of Joshua. You remember back, so the story, Moses gets the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. They wander around the wilderness for 40 years. Um, Moses does not get to go into the promised land, so he trains up Joshua to take them into the promised land. They go in, and um, Joshua, the book of Joshua is basically them going in and, and conquering that whole land to make it theirs. Um, and what Elijah, what Elijah, not completely, but what he's sort of doing is going back to all those locations that Joshua brought the people into the promised land for. Um, so he goes to Gilgal. Um, all, that's all over the book of Joshua, but in chapter 8 it pops up in several points. Um, he, he goes to Bethel. You see that in Joshua 7. He goes to Jericho. Obviously, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. That was Joshua chapter 5 and 6. And then he concludes at the Jordan, at the Jordan, the Jordan River. Um, that was Joshua chapters 1 through 4. He's kind of going backwards. So the, Joshua went this way through all these lands. Elijah is going this way. And he does exactly what um, Joshua did. He parts the Jordan River the same way Moses parted the, the Red Sea. Um, that sort of thing happens more than just when Moses does it in the Bible. Um, Joshua and then parted the Jordan River to cross into the Promised Land. Elijah parts it to come back out. Him and Elisha come out. Why is he doing this? Well, it's kind of like that final episode of a TV show. He's looking back at everywhere that Israel has been, both the good and the bad. All those places that he goes to were places Joshua went to. But not just that, they're places that, that Israel knew as part of their story. Um, obviously, Gilgal was related to Joshua. Bethel, the, the second place he goes to, that was where um, Abraham, Abraham did a lot of stuff there. But, but specifically, it's where, do you remember when Jacob, Abraham's great, his grandson, he has a vision. He sees a ladder going into heaven, and angels are ascending and descending that ladder. He has that dream. That happened at Bethel. Jericho. Um, it's number one where Joshua fought the battle, but it's also, if you remember back when we started this, you remember Ahab, he rebuilt Jericho, he built the place up when, when you know, God had said anyone who rebuilds the city will be cursed. It's that place. 
And then obviously, as I said, the Jordan, it's where the Israelites cross to come into the promised land. Elijah is reminding Elisha of all the great history of Israel, but he's also showing some of the places where Israel has descended into madness because many of these cities um, that just have turned out really bad. You remember Israel is just going off the deep end at this point in history. They're descending into idolatry, sexual immorality, that they're just ending up in a really bad location. And Joshua, sorry, Elijah is taking Elisha and showing him all these things. Because Elisha is going to continue the ministry of Elijah in the midst of all that madness. He's going to have to be faithful to God and continue the ministry of Elijah despite all of these pagan people, despite all of these sexual immorality, despite the fact that Israel has this great history and has completely forgotten everything about it. Not, like, not unlike the ministry that all of us have today as we minister to people in the United States of America who have completely forgotten their history. This is a lot like us, isn't it? We're to be faithful to God. We're to be faithful to Christ and do Christ's will, Christ's will from the Bible in a place that doesn't remember their history, doesn't remember their heritage. So they're going to all these cities, and Elijah is visiting the sons of the prophets there, people who would have looked up to him, people who would have known who he was, who would have learned a lot from him. In each city, these sons of the prophets... Um, are going to continue Elijah's ministry in those locations. Um, Elisha's going to kind of be the captain of that, but, but these people are also going to continue in the spirit of Elijah in all these cities. There's 50 in Jericho. Um, it doesn't say how many are in the other cities, but there's 50 in Jericho. And these are dark places. Prophets are to speak light in those dark places. That's what we're to do. We don't live in a um, beautiful, lighted land where, where there's no darkness. We live in a world full of darkness, and we're to preach, the, we're to be the light of the world in that place. You remember Jesus called us the light of the world? We're in darkness. Light shines in darkness. If everything is light around us, we don't have to be light. But Jesus told us we would be light. Elijah is following all those people. He's going to all those people, and he's saying goodbye to them. Sort of like what Jacob did to, for his children in Genesis chapter 49. Sort of like what Jesus did for his disciples in John 13 through 17. His final night with them after the Lord's Supper, he teaches them for literally five chapters. Sort of like what Paul does in 2 Timothy when he writes to Timothy, his, his son in the faith, his student, the one he poured his life into. He says, I have fought the fight, I've run the race, now I'm being poured out as an offering um, to, to, to the Lord. Each step of the way, as they go, Elijah is telling Elisha, stay here. Don't come any farther with me. And Elisha says, I won't leave you. He's loyal. Elijah has been faithful to God, and Elisha has walked with him. He's not leaving him. Elisha is giving his life to following a faithful prophet. Think of the faithful people You've known the people who have faithfully served the Lord that, that you know. I greatly admire uh, my seminary president, a man named Al Moeller. Um, Al Moeller came to Southern Seminary, the, the seminary I went to back in um, 
would have been the early 90s, I believe. I can't remember the exact date, but he's been there about as long as I've been alive, so it would have been the early 90s when he came there. Um, when he came to Southern Seminary, Southern was, was a very liberal seminary. Um, it had been started really solid theologically by, by men, but it had quickly drifted into liberal theology. Um, being theologically liberal is not the same thing as being politically liberal, although usually those who are theologically liberal are also politically liberal. Um, the, theological liberals, um, the, their, their biggest issue is they don't hold Scripture up to the highest level. Scripture is not authoritative. Scripture is not fully inspired by God. And, and Genesis to Revelation is not necessarily um, all that God has spoken or um, not, not necessarily all of it has been spoken by God. Scripture isn't authoritative, so they will often hold to doctrines that are wrong because of that. They'll often believe things about God that are not true. The, the Bible is authority. It tells me what to believe. I don't get to tell it what it says. So over 28 years, Dr. Moeller has led Southern Seminary through a really hard battle. He had death threats um, in his time there. He came in as a conservative theologically. He came in and he did work there. He moved the seminary away from being liberal to being um, back to its historical roots and to correct doctrine, to believing the right things. Um, it was a hard battle, but now it's one of the strongest seminaries in the world because of that. Dr. Moeller has faithfully served the Lord at the seminary. Um, actually, as I speak, there's some controversy going on with him, um, and, and I pray for him um, as he faces that controversy. There's, there's just a couple um, people who have started making claims about the seminary who used to work at the seminary. They're, they're making claims about the seminary being actually liberal secretly, um, hidden behind a, a conservative mask, um, and, and it's just a bunch of baloney. I've, I've paid attention to both sides. I just think it's baloney. Um, I went to Southern Seminary. I was never taught some of the things that they're making claims that, that Southern is teaching its students. Um, so if you think about it, pray for Southern Seminary as they face this controversy as we speak. Um, Elijah, Dr. Moeller has been faithful up to now. We pray he will continue to be faithful. Um, Elijah has been faithful here. He has finished the race. He is one more time seeing the people who followed in his footsteps, who will follow in his footsteps when he is gone. It's now their job to be faithful. So the question stands for you today, will you be found faithful at the end of your life the way Elijah was? That's the question for me. That's the question for you. I have to ask myself that question regularly. I've asked myself that question several times this week as I've been really discouraged this week um, with, with myself. I'm trying to balance now having a son and being in quarantine and so many other things. Um, oftentimes I feel like I'm not um, doing all that I could be doing and, and I've really been convicted about that and struggling with that. And I'm working on that in myself. Um, but I have to ask myself regularly, will I be found faithful at the end of my life? I don't know if you've heard the statistic, about 250 pastors leave the ministry every month. You've actually probably heard a higher number. You've probably heard 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. That, that's just not true. It's more like 250. Um, so not as bad, but still that's pretty bad. 
Um, 250 pastors, not, not just leave their church, leave the ministry, like throw in the towel and quit every month. The average tenure of a pastor at a church is three years because of how difficult it can be. Because of how difficult the ministry can be. It's three years. Three years and the pastor gives up at the church. Um, I don't want to be one of those statistics. I don't want to be one of the pastors that leaves the ministry every month. One of those 250 I don't want to be um, the pastor who only has a three-year tenure unless the Lord calls me elsewhere. Like, I I, want to put in my roots and and be here for good unless the Lord calls me elsewhere. Remember, uh, I I have to regularly do what Hebrews 12 tells me to do. Hebrews 12, as you know, says, um, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run the race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy uh, set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I have to look to the cloud of witnesses that I'm surrounded by and be faithful to run the race, looking to Jesus. I have to remember that I'm surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I'm surrounded by faithful pastors alive today who who I know and love. Tim Harris and Lee Davis and Scotty Hutch and Bill Cook and Brian Croft and Mark Dever and and so many more. I'm surrounded by faithful pastors from history. Um, Charles Spurgeon, Andrew Fuller, Charles Simeon, so many of them. I'm surrounded by faithful men from the pages of Scripture. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Paul, Peter. And I have the ultimate faithful one to look to, which is Jesus. He's endured the cross. He despised the shame of the cross and he endured it because there was joy set before him in his faithfulness. And there's joy set before you in your faithfulness. And there's joy set before me in my faithfulness if we will endure We will see the fruit of our labor at the end. We will have joy from it. We push through to be faithful by the witnesses who have gone before us, and we push through to be faithful for those who come after us. Elijah, it was the sons of the prophets. He's been faithful as a prophet, and all of these sons of the prophets are going to be able to be faithful because of his faithfulness. I want to be found faithful for the sake of my wife. I want to be found faithful for the sake of my son, for the sake of my grandkids one day, for the sake of my church members, you. I want to be found faithful for you. I I, I want to be um, faithful for for all those I will shepherd with my life, all those I will baptize. You know, I want to be found faithful as a a pastor for, for Millie and Tucker Thompson and for Caden and Hadley Griffin, people I have baptized. I want to be found faithful for them because if I ever throw in the towel, that gives all of those people permission to throw in the towel. And how dare I leave that kind of legacy? Your faithfulness may play a part in those who come after you, will, will play a great part in those who come after you. Your faithfulness to whatever God has called you to. So I ask you, at the end of your life, will you be found faithful? Will you? Will people tell stories of how faithful you were to the Lord? Or will they just say, oh, they lived a good life? That's sometimes a nice way of saying... You know, at a funeral, when, when somebody doesn't really have a lot of stories about their life to share, people will just say, ah, oh, 
They lived a good life. That's really just a nice way of saying, yeah, there was really nothing significant to say about them. I mean, they weren't an axe murderer, but they didn't leave much of an impact. So, yeah, they lived a good life. I want a legacy to be left um, for the sake of Christ and myself that, that, will be, that I will be found faithful at the end of my life. I want that for you, too. You know, I miss Evelyn Greer greatly. Um, honestly, I probably wouldn't have gotten to go see her much in the past three months, but, um, but I miss getting to go talk to her, getting to spend time with her. Do you remember Evelyn Greer? You remember that sweet woman? When, when she died, nobody, nobody just said, ah, she lived a good life. No, they, they had so many stories of her faithfulness to the Lord. Like, do you know how much this lady prayed? Man, let's pray like that. Like, do you know how much she loved this church? Man, let's love the church like she did. Do, do, you, do you know how much she told other people about Jesus? Man, let's never shut up about Jesus because of, because of her faithfulness. Do you know how much godly advice she gave to people? Man, let's pursue wisdom in the Bible and be able to do the same for other people and carry on her legacy. Wow. She was a faithful woman. I miss her greatly. And she is one of many examples to you to press on to be found faithful at the end of your life. Maybe you say, I can't. I can't be found faithful. I'm not smart. I've made too many mistakes. I'm too old to turn the ship around at this point. The thought of trying to do better and come out faithful in the end sounds exhausting. And in one sense it is, you're right. In another sense, you have help. Elijah parts the Jordan River and walks to the other side. They go over. Elijah asks Elisha, what, what, what do you want before I'm taken up? What can I give you? Elisha says, give me a double portion of your spirit. Give me a double anointing. It's a reference to Deuteronomy 21.17, which says the firstborn gets a double portion of all that his father has. Um, Elisha doesn't just see Elijah as his teacher. He sees him as a father. And the sons of the prophets, they, they, uh, Elisha is, sees himself as the firstborn of them. Verse 12, um, that he, he says, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He, he calls him his father. Elijah says, I'll see what I can do. I'll see if I can get you that. But if you get to see me go up in the chariot, it's yours. If you don't, it's not yours. And a chariot of fire comes and takes Elijah straight up to heaven. God takes Elijah to heaven. Elijah doesn't die. He gets to go straight to heaven. And Elisha sees it. He gets to see it. But understand, you can't remain faithful on your own. You need the God, the faithful God, to keep you faithful. Do you understand that? Elijah had help to be faithful in his ministry. Being faithful to God is hard. It was hard for Elijah. You remember, Elijah had to face Ahab and Jezebel, which frankly, probably the two most wicked characters in the Bible. Genesis to Revelation, probably the two most wicked characters people with names in the Bible, aside from, of course, the devil. Um, but remember, he remained faithful. How did he do that? By the power of the faithful God, the one who keeps us in his hand. 
This is why I believe you can't lose your salvation. I don't know if, what, what your position is, but I think the biblical position is you can't lose your salvation. Jesus said in John 10, no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. Nobody can do it. I've got them in my grip. But you know, if I can mess up and make, make it so that I was no longer saved, if I could commit some kind of sin that would make it so that I was no longer saved, I'm just going to be straight with you, I would have done that millions of times over already, and you would have too. If your salvation, if your um, right standing with God was based on your obedience rather than on Jesus' obedience, you would be done for. You, you would be in hell covered up with smoldering ash if it was based on your obedience. It's not. You're not saved by works. You don't re remain saved by works. You're saved by grace. You're saved by what Christ did for you, not what you did for Christ. Do you understand that? You can't lose it. My salvation isn't dependent on my faithfulness. It's dependent on the faithfulness of God. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself ever. He will not stop being faithful. It was God who kept Elijah faithful. It was not Elijah who kept Elijah faithful. It was God. That has to start with you giving your life to Jesus, receiving eternal life, and being born again. It continues through you following Jesus through faith and holding fast to him while he holds you fast. You get that? A little confusing. He holds you fast while you hold fast to him. It's a two-way street. He holds you fast. You hold fast to him. It's not about how hard you try it's not about how smart you are or how many bad things you've done. Paul had literally, understand the Apostle Paul, he had literally busted into church services and dragged people out across pavement, you know, scraping their face up, dragged them down to a certain location and murdered them. That's what the Apostle Paul had done. But he reached the end of his life and he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. How did he do that? Qu quite, quite simple. Jesus changed his life. It was the faithfulness of Jesus that changed his life. It, it, it's all dependent on the work of Christ in your life. Will you get on your knees and ask him to make you live a faithful life? Will you do that? It is the faithful God who has been working in Elijah's life the whole time. He had opposed the false god of Baal and Asherah, Baal the god of rain, Elijah is now being taken up in a storm, Asherah the god of death, Elijah is taking up, uh, Elijah doesn't have to die. You understand what's happening here in Elijah being taken up in the chariot of fire? God is one more time saying to Baal and Asherah, you're toast, you're toast, I'm the one god, I'm the one. Baal, you don't control the storm. I control that. Look, I'm going to take him up in a storm. Asherah, you're not the God of death. I am. And my servant is not going to die. I'm going to bring him up so that he does not die. Elijah is one of two characters in the Bible who does not face death. Enoch is the other one. You remember back when we looked at Genesis 1 through 11, we talked about Enoch. He's in Genesis 5. He's, he does not die. He's taken up to heaven by the Lord. And that's what happens to Elijah. He's faithful, and the Lord rescues him.
This isn't the last time we'll see Elijah, though. The final verses of, in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, chapter 4, 5, and 6. I'm actually going to um, preach Malachi next, next week, but, but just a little preview. Um, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, in the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Old Testament ends right there. Old Testament ends. 400 years later, John the Baptist would come on the scene. And there's a lot of talk in the New Testament, even from the mouth of Jesus, about the fact that John the Baptist is Elijah. It's not that Elijah is reincarnated in John or anything, but, uh, uh, but, but John has the same ministry that Elijah had. He, he's, he's carrying on, he's preaching in the same spirit as Elijah. He's declaring the word of the Lord. He's opposing a wicked king, Herod. He's being found faithful, and he's a forerunner. Elijah was a forerunner for Elisha. I'll come back and preach Elisha's story someday. But uh, Elijah was a forerunner to Elisha. Interestingly enough, do you know what Elisha's name means? It means, my God saves. That's what the name Elisha means means. Elijah is the forerunner for my God saves. John the Baptist is a forerunner for Jesus. You know what Jesus' name means? His actual name is more like Yeshua. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Elisha means my God saves. Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Both Elijah and John the Baptist are forerunners for one whose name would mean my God saves, Yahweh saves. And then we have one more scene that Elijah pops up in. It's the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus goes up on the mountain with, with Peter, James, and John. He's transfigured. Uh, we, we see him in his glory for a second. And who appears there with him? Moses and Elijah. It's kind of this thing of the law and the prophets. you got the one who wrote the, the law and the, the figurehead of the prophets. They both appear there. Um, Elijah, though, doesn't have that big of a story. It's not Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, or Hosea that appears with Jesus. It's Elijah. Why? He's the faithful representative of the prophets. He's the one who was faithful to God to the end. He prepared the way for Elisha. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus who would bring salvation to the world through his death and resurrection so that if you believe in his name, you are secure in the faithful God forever. You can reach the end through faith and be found faithful. Friend, the end of your life will come. It will. You will be surrounded by your loved ones and they will say their goodbyes one day. Well, they have a bunch of cliches to say about you because honestly, you didn't have much impact. Or will they have story after story of the faithfulness of God being demonstrated in your life to those around you? Make that decision now in your life. I mentioned the ending of TV shows. Um, ending of Boy Meets World, very good. Um, there are also, though, very bad endings to TV shows. Maybe you've seen it. Maybe you've watched a TV show all the way through. You got to the final episode, and it just didn't live up 
Um, I've, I've seen a couple shows like that. Um, a good number of TV shows haven't ended well. The final episode happens, the final scene happens, credits roll, and fans are left there saying, that's how it ends? Th that's what happens? I, I just invested eight years of my life for you to end the story like that? Often, I'll I tell you what, what I think is that it's because writers um, don't really know wh where they're going when they write the story, so they write themselves in a corner without realizing it, and they just kind of make the, make the best with what they've got, and it's not good. Friend, don't let your life end like that. Don't get to the end of your life and, and die, and your friends and family are sitting there saying, that's how it ends? That's it? Understand, that depends on the decisions that you make right now. Don't write yourself in a corner where you have to make the best with what you've got. Begin now. You must start the journey. If you aren't saved, you must repent of your sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must, if you are saved but you're off track, you have to get back on track. Jesus, understand, he's a shepherd. He comes and he gets his lost sheep and he brings them back. So pray fervently. Read your Bible regularly and live faithfully in response. Understand, Jesus is pursuing you. He's wanting you back. You simply must, in faith, grab his outstretched hand. If you are faithfully following, praise God. Continue in that. Press on to win the prize at the end. Philippians 3.12, Paul says, I, I haven't already achieved it, but, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. I press on for the prize of knowing Christ, of the prize that I'm going to get when he raises me from the dead one day. May we all at the end of our life say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Elijah could say that. Paul could say that. I want to be able to say that, and I want you to be able to say that. So may we press on to that.